Hey, this is Ed Stetzer Live, and I am Ed Stetzer. This and every Saturday, we come to you live at this time. Always talking about, I think, fascinating topics. Well, you know, because I invite people on that I want to talk to and I want you to hear from that you might find encouraging, challenging, thoughtful, or a combination thereof. So my name is Ed Stetzer. I'm the dean of the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University in Southern California. So so uh, I, I often mention that K-Wave is one of our partner uh, affiliates out in the Moody Radio Land. And so those of you listening on K-Wave, as of this week, I am your neighbor. So look forward to hanging out and seeing some of you out there as as well. And so I'm the Dean at Talbot School of Theology, teaching pastor at Mariner's Church, and, but most importantly, the host of this Moody Radio program that airs on Moody Radio Partners and Affiliates. Again, thank you for listening. Today, uh, we, we have a guest that I think gonna, you're going to find pretty interesting, pretty fascinating. His name is Andy Bannister, and he's, as you'll hear in a minute, he's, he's not from around these parts. But Andy Bannister is a speaker, writer, broadcaster based in the U.K., he is the director of the Solas Center, which they spell with an R-E, by the way, the Solas Center for Public Christianity and Evangelism and Training Ministry. Adjunct professor at Wycliffe College, University of Toronto. Great friends up there as well. I was just talking to some of the leaders up there yesterday where he teaches Christian apologetics, the art and science of Christian persuasion. He's also an adjunct research fellow at the Melbourne School of Theology in Australia and regularly visits Australia to speak and teach. So, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on Ed Stetcher Live. So glad to have you. It's great to be on the show, Ed. Thank you for the invitation. Good, good, good. So, so we uh, we did not hang out when I was in the UK, right? We didn't. We we might have talked about no, that. No, we, we kind of missed each other, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But I'm yeah, glad yeah. you were over here on the uh, on the right side of the Atlantic. <laughs> well, I heard great things about you, your ministry, and your work, and and so I was excited to uh, to have you on the program to engage the book as well. So, so, so glad you're here. And we we had a wonderful time. We lived there for three months in Oxford, and we just felt smarter because of all the British accents. You know, you guys could read the phone book, and it's like ten extra IQ points because of the accent. We love that. About you, but you're living in a uh, in a an increasingly post secular. Well, I mean, it's not increasingly; it's, it's a post Christian environment and growing secular environment. And one of the reasons I like to talk to people from the UK and Australia is I often tell people that you're like visitors from the future. Um, I, I just I, when I was at Wheaton College, I, I hired uh, John Dixon and mm. brought John Dixon over to hold this chair. And you know, because because in a sense, I mean, Australia's ahead of you in secularization in the UK. You're ahead of Canada. Canada's ahead of the United States. But there are places in the U.S. that are just as secular. You go to the northeastern United States. And so, but, you know, most most of our audience is in a place where they're finding an increased secular reality around them, and they're unsure how to engage people. I'll give you a quick example. I used to live in a place called Tennessee, a place called Nashville. We have a great radio station there that broadcasts. And, and uh, you know, pretty much I could say to most people in Nashville in a grocery store line, um, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to invite you to our church, and it would it would almost be normal. And people who moved in from, you know, from maybe Vermont, one of the most unchurched states in the country, they'd be like, "Well, it's Nashville. People invite you to church." Well, that's shifting, and it the assumption that an invite to church is even going to be received well and not offend people is shifting. I don't misunderstand. I think we need to keep inviting people to church, but I want to talk to you because your book. It's got such a great title, first of all, How to Talk About Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot. It's it's subtle title. It's a subtle title. Very um, subtle. We do, and, but, we do but, subtle but well in this country. You do? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I've learned these things. Um, and uh, so so tell me a little bit about, uh, first starting, you're in a secular environment where talking about Jesus indeed is something that a lot of people just might assume you're an idiot to begin with. And again, uh, you know, forget kids in the car, you know, just got to remember we're Saturday morning radio, some moms driving with their kids right now and 
and they're saying they said that word on the radio. So, um, so kids don't don't repeat that word and use that word all the time. But it is important for this context. So, talk to us about it, Andy. Yeah, so the idiot word, let's start there, pick that word, because that's the elephant in the room, isn't it? I think lots of Christians in today's culture worry that's what they're going to look like. And we dance around it, we dress it up. But I think it's worth going for the big one. This is what terrifies people. Um, And then what's going on with culture? I think you sum it up well. I mean, I lived in Canada for six years. I I visit Australia regularly. I'm off for a speaking tour there in a couple of weeks' time. And the way you described it is is absolutely right. What I would say, though, is a couple of things. I think for those living in the U.S. in still quite Christian parts of the country, it's a wake-up call to realize you can't assume things anymore. It's not too late to do something about the shift. What you can certainly be is prepared for the shift. For those who've gone through living in parts of the U.S. where that shift is happening, I think that's an opportunity to go, okay, we need to rethink the ways we've done things. But I also want to encourage people, Ed, I think in the U.K. now we're actually coming out the other side slowly of that shift. One thing we're seeing on university campuses is young adults and students who do a lot of missions on campuses. We are now finding kids who are post-Christian. They're not hostile. They'll look at you oddly if you invite them to church. You won't get an angry pushback. You'll get more of the well, what does that mean to me? But there's an openness too, I think, to spirituality and faith. I think the new atheism, that very angry atheism we saw 15 or so years ago, we've tried that in this country and we're out the other side. So again, the landscape is shifting. And I think to me, it's a constant reminder, Ed, that we need as Christians to keep one eye on culture as well as be grounded in our faith because the culture shifts. Uh, it, It always has done. It is now. The great thing is the gospel doesn't change, but how we communicate it has to. Yeah, for sure. No, and actually, that was my impression. And my, you know, three months doesn't you don't know anything about the country after three months. But there clearly was a a difference. We're still in a declining practice of religiosity. In some ways, you've bottomed out, and and you know, in some ways, being post-Christian means that it's 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 pre-Christian. You're you have the opportunity to have new and fresh conversations. I was just I spent a month in Australia. Uh, what was that? A couple months ago, and mm. saw similarly there. We probably. Has some mutual friends. I preached for Guy Mason and a few other folks when we were there, and yeah. probably folks that you hang with when you're there. Um, and so, 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 okay. But the challenge of looking like a, a fool. Let's let's. I, mm. I guess that's not going to help either. That that kid in the car is going to you know yell at his sister. Still use that word. Exactly. Let's just go with idiot. So so the problem with looking at idiot is multifaceted. So one is man, people are just thinking you're an idiot because you're a Christian. One mm. is. Like, what if they ask you things you don't know? And and that's, for the people who I know who love Jesus, who want to share the gospel, uh, their fear is, is that someone's going to ask them a question that is unanswerable by them at that time. And you address that in the book. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So to back right up, Ed, by the way, one thing I was very conscious of on the introduction you gave, and I suspect you run into the same thing. When people hear my resume and the stuff that I've done, as when people hear your resume and the stuff that you've done, one of the challenges is they look at us and go, well, Ed, Andy, it's okay for you. You guys are highly trained. You spent years doing this. You can talk about Jesus, but I can't possibly. And it's very important that I start where I do in the book, telling the story of my first years in the the workforce, working for a hospital in London, working in a secular workplace, and I was useless. I was an undercover Christian. Outside Mm. of work, I was involved in church. Inside, I said nothing afraid of so many things, looking like an idiot, and that question, uh, that issue that you raise, what if I'm asked a question I don't know the answer to? 
Well, two things briefly. First thing I would say, before you leap into doing the answering, I think it's worth examining those fears. Sometimes we don't talk about our fears. We say we're afraid of evangelism. We don't go deeper. So start naming those fears. Be specific. Talk about them with your friends and your, uh, you know, share them with older, wiser Christians. Because when we bring our fears into the daylight and look at them, we can start addressing them. By the way, our fears also can identify where our idols lie. And I think we do have an issue in the Western church at times that we've become a bit too addicted to our kind of comfortable middle class Christianity where we can everything be nice and easy and uh, anything that's a bit tricky, we run away from. And as evangelism has got harder, that idol becomes a problem. Um, so if that is a thing for anyone listening to this, the great thing is God is a God of forgiveness. Bring that to him. Pray that through. Work that through. On the question asking thing, there's a couple of things I would say here. Firstly, do not be afraid to say, I don't know. I, this was a, I can't believe I didn't know this in my 20s. But since having learned that lesson, if someone asks you a question you do not know the answer to, there is no shame in saying, that's a great question. Thank you for asking it. I don't immediately know the answer. But if it matters to you, I will find the answer. And then be good to your word. Talk to your pastor do an internet search, read a book, take the time. And I found as a younger Christian, actually, that was a great conversation opener. When you take the time, you go back a week or two later, you say, thank you for that question. The other week, I have done the work and I've got an answer. Are you interested? Surprising number of people say yes. And then the other thing as well, I, I'll pass back to you here because I could talk for hours, is I think the other mm -hmm. big thing I do in the book is I think there are some very practical tools we can use to help us in conversations where tough questions come up. There's probably specifics you want to push into. We can chat around that. And the big idea in the book is that actually with just a little practice and a little training, um, not a lot, just a little, you can actually be much more equipped than you might otherwise realize to feel more confident in navigating some of those conversations. It's not as hard as you think it might be. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think one of, there's a real strength. There's a real um, trust-building reality when you actually articulate you don't know. And because the call of your life is not to know and have all the answers, it's to follow Jesus and know that he has the answers, and you want to engage those conversations as well. So, so again, we're going uh, to continue our conversation with Andy Bannister. We're going uh, to take your calls as well, and we're going to invite you to call in. Maybe you have questions, comments, or more. And we're going to actually walk through some of the questions that he asks and answers as well. Again, the title of the book is How to Talk About Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot. How to Talk About Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot. I want you to get a copy of that. We actually have some copies we're going to give away as well. But let's continue our conversation with Andy and your calls on the other side. We're going to press in. How can we grow as people who share the gospel faithfully and prudently? Hey, we're back at Stetzer Live. We're here with Andy Bannister talking about his new book and the theme, you know, which is how to talk about Jesus without looking like an idiot. We want to invite you with your calls. We actually have five copies of the book we're going to give away to brilliant callers, not just, hey, can I get a book? No, you got to come in with a brilliant call or a question or a comment. I'd love to hear from you how you are seeking to engage your neighbor, showing and sharing the love of Jesus, sharing your faith. I'd like to hear from you about questions you might have about Andy's book, his work. You know, again, I'm particularly intrigued that Andy, in a sense, is kind of living in the future. Having lived in Canada and engaged in the GTA, the Greater Toronto area, 
very secular, very multi-ethnic. More people uh, in Toronto have been born outside of Canada than inside of Canada. Mm. So always a fascinating world, but a world that needs the good news of the gospel. Our number for you is 877-548-3675. Let me say it again. I talk fast like a New Yorker, I was told, because I am a New Yorker. But the number is 877 548 Three six seven five. Okay, so um, Andy, the, um, hmm. when, when simple people, people don't want to share the gospel in a way that's off-putting, that 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 actually drives people away, but rather draws people to the good news of the gospel, and that's that's always a challenge. Now, sometimes, right now, people talk about being winsome, and in America, right now, there's a bit of a debate whether winsome is the best cultural approach. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's the way of Jesus, but so you you kind of know my approach. Um, so. So how do you start, engage, how do you have these kind of relationships that lead to evangelistic opportunity? Well, the first thing I think I would uh, advise people to consider it, and I love the way you asked the question, is I think we need to begin creating relationships with those around us. I think Mm -hmm. when I was younger, I think the mistake I made is I probably engaged a bit too much in hit and run evangelism. You know, I had it on in my mind that my my goal, my task was to charge into conversations, throw a gospel hand grenade and then charge out again as quickly as possible. The whole thing would explode and wonders would happen. And I had took me a while to realize the importance of investing time and energy into other relationships with, with those around us. That may be colleagues. It may be neighbors. It may be classmates. Put some relational investment in. Take the time to get to know people. Because the thing I discovered, actually, is when you take an interest in others, there is a much greater openness than in return to us talking about uh, our faith. I remember actually my early days of engaging with Muslims in uh, in London. One of my special uh, focuses over the years has been has been Islam. And uh, when I began reaching out, engaging in conversations with Muslim friends in London in the late 1990s, it came as no surprise that the more I talked to them, the more I asked them about their faith, asked them questions, let my friends tell me what they believed, the more that created an open door for me after I listened to say, this is interesting. As a Christian, we have some things in common. There are also some differences. And my friends would be much more open to me talking about those. So whether it's Muslims or our secular friends, take an interest in those around you. Not least, Ed, I'd say find out what makes them tick. Because just because someone's not an atheist, uh, someone's not a Christian, but they're an atheist, there'll still be something they're living for. There'll still mm. be something they're animated about, something that they're passionate about. And trying to identify what those stories are that our friends are invested in is a great starting point. Time and time again in the book, I return to Acts 17, where Paul is in Athens. And there's such a great model for us there, because the first thing that he does before he goes and preaches at the Areopagus is he walks around the city and he takes the time to figure out what the Athenians are into. He looks at the statues, the temples, the idols. And then when he comes to share the gospel, he starts from where they are. He starts from their uh, their beliefs. He quotes their own poets. He's studied what they believe a little bit. And there is a receptivity. We cannot uh, skip that step, I think, with our friends. Yeah, love it. And I, I think you're right on. And I think that's part of the challenge, by the way, as a missiologist. Acts 17 references warm my heart. So uh, so that's great. Um, so, But here's the th- I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, we had on the program uh, Sam Chan, and he wrote a book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. Uh, and you wrote a book 
called How to Talk About <laughs> Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot. But there is there is a commonality that's there. And I don't know if you know Sam. He's a great yes. guy. And I, I wrote the forward to his book, uh, um, and, and, I, and I loved it, and I, I endorsed your book, and I, I, I don't know if I made the list, but I I, I think I, I sent it in. You're on there. Yeah, uh, you're on there. Okay, there. good. Okay, page, good. Because I'm, I'm for you. Um, and because I love – because, you know, 10 years – I just met this morning with my agent. And my agent always kind of told me that, you know, publishers just have a hard time. You know, he, he's not a publisher. He's my agent. He's like, but if you put the word evangelism in a book title, it, it, it actually gets harder for people to engage it. Yes. So there's two, two parts to my question. Uh, first, the mm-hmm. first part, of course, you talk about how to talk about Jesus without looking like an idiot. So that's clearly an evangelistic focus. But it's interesting to me that you and Sam, Australia, the UK, both mm-hmm. sort of had to have something afterwards that sort of spoke to that there's some reputational challenges that are here as well. You're, you're going to look like an idiot. You could be that guy. So, you know, is this something we've we've put on ourselves and how do we address? Or is this just something that yeah. culture has put on us and we need to overcome? Help me think through that a little bit. I think it's a bit of both. And uh, it's interesting you mentioned Sam Blessing. When, when, that, when he came out of that book, I was like, oh, Sam, man, I've been using the, my title for 10 years. And uh, my <laughs> agent was like, it's fine. The world's big enough for both of you. Um, am I, I, am I like the first so, person who, who tied the two together? Because I just heard no, the title you're not. and I was like, And actually, okay, bless them, we do, they do slightly different things. I actually think what I hope is people would read my book than Sam's, because I think mine's a bit more basic than Sam, because he's more sophisticated than I am. So I'm hoping my he book also is. Gateway. He also is both a medical doctor and a professor. So it's a little... I know, he's so it's smart. a little much. It's not, it's he not is right, smart. But he's, really. but he's great. Mean, but your book is really, they, they should read your book first. I, lo- I really enjoyed your book. I thought it was courageous. I thought it was helpful. So again, I want to encourage people to pick it up. Again, it's oh, how to you. talk about Jesus without looking like an idiot. The but checks the that, checks in the mail, Ed. Thank you. The, there um, you go. But but, but you, you spell check wrong in the UK, so it's not even going to get here. We but, do, exactly. So, so the so evangelism us, thing, though. Yeah, what does it look like? It, yeah, it's, it's funny you say that to go, we put a lot of work as we edited the book into where does the word evangelism come it's not on the cover it's not on any of the stuff around it in fact i don't think it appears until the very end of chapter one because one of my fears ed was that lots of christians write books on evangelism designed to be accessible for people who are nervous about it and then those people see the word evangelism on the cover they go "Oh, i'm not an evangelist that's not for me and that would have been me in my 20s Mm. One of the, I remember in my early 20s going and seeing Billy Graham preach, and it mm. was both the most inspiring thing I've ever seen, and it was the most depressing thing I've ever seen. Because I, I came away going, well, that's what an evangelist is, and that's not me, therefore mm. I can't do it. And it took a few years to have all that undone. So, yeah, there was a quite deliberate, we'll draw people in with the humor and the funny and the stories and the other stuff, so people then are ready to go, oh, by the end of chapter one, maybe I, maybe there is more to this than meets the eye. The reputational thing, I think you're dead right, and I think it's a bit of both the culture putting it onto us and ourselves. In terms of ourselves, I think, sadly, Christians over the years, we have occasionally, to put it mildly, put our foot in it. We have occasionally got ourselves tangled up in the culture wars. Um, you know, there are big shifts going on now in culture, big battles out there. Those are not unimportant. But if we're not careful, if our theology gets collapsed together with the politics, people who reject the politics will reject the theology. And I think it's really important that people see that to be a Christian does not mean you have to be, you know, conservative over here or Republican over there. Um, you know, there are a range of positions you can hold as a Christian. And firstly, we don't talk about Jesus before we talk about moral issues. So we have got those things tangled up. And I think people have looked at it and gone, hmm. The other thing as well, of course, a few generations, a generation or two ago when we had cultural power, I don't think the gospel is designed to operate from a place of cultural power. And I think people who are outside that tent looked at us with our power and went, right, as soon as we get power, the boot's on the other foot. And now they have, and it is. Um, So I think that hasn't helped. Um, And then I think as well, it's taken a while, and in fact, many parts of the church still waking up to the fact where we began at the beginning, 
there've been great shifts going on. Um, people are not are post-Christian or post-post-Christian, yet the church very often is still using the old language. And so even if people don't, you know, consider us not worth listening to, they look at us and go, what are you lot talking about? We see this over here right now with a lot of the Anglican church, our big state established church in the UK, having these really, you know, intense, arcane theological debates about sexuality. And I think people outside the church look at this and go, we don't even understand what you're saying before we, whether we agree with it or not. And so Christianity is seen as out of date and irrelevant and just, you know, full of cobwebs and dust and whatnot. So I think we've got that to deal with. Um, and then I think, to be fair, the culture has then also then pressed things onto us. I think the culture sort of expect we live in a culture where there's a new religion has emerged, the kind of sort of, as it were, the woke religion, where everyone's expected to think the same, affirm the same things, look the same way, wave the same flags. And here's Christians standing up and going, hang on a minute, I've just got a question here. And that's the issue, too. I think many Christians were afraid if we talk about faith at work, we'll be accused of being homophobic, transphobic, whatever it is, because we, we, we are not swimming with the culture on this. So it's a bit of both. And mm -hmm. I think is the problem uh, there, Ed. And no wonder that a lot of Christians feel like rabbits in the headlights. Yeah, and I think uh, rabbits in the headlight. We don't use that expression here. Deer in the headlights is what we say here. Do you deer in the deer? headlights. Do you, do you, do you have, not have rabbits the over there? Or we do, do have rabbits, but they don't get in the headlights. I don't know where you people are living, but there's no rabbits running in roads here. But anyway, that's another you've story. shot them all, Ed. That's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. That's what it is. Well, you know, chase the snakes out of Ireland and chase the rabbits out of whatever. So oh, okay, so super. So deer in the so uh, deer in the headlights. So the phone number again for those who want to call is eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. And that last two paragraphs. <laughs> you, you, first of all, I love it, and, but you laid through like eight or nine things, some of which I would like, hey, I want to follow up on this question or that question, but I want to stay somewhat focused on the topic at hand. Um, so, so, But people are often afraid. Yeah. They're uncomfortable about talking about Jesus. I want, to, I want you to weigh in on that, and then I'm going to go right to the calls. Again, 877-548-3675. So folks, hold on to We're going to come to the calls in just a moment. But, but what about people who are who, I mean, it's not. It's it's pretty regular to be uncomfortable and yes. even afraid of talking about Jesus. Why does it matter that we acknowledge that, and what do we do about it? Well, I think I think as you say, Ed, and I mentioned, I think before the previous break, recognizing our fears, talking about it honestly is a great place to start. One problem in the church is I think a lot of Christians feel spiritually inferior because we're nervous about evangelism. Everyone is nervous about evangelism. I don't know. I don't know about you, um, but I, I know I can stand on a stage and talk to a crowd easily. But I get nervous talking to my next door neighbor, to the guy across the street. Those one-on-one -on -one conversations are hard, even for those of us who teach and do evangelism, you know, in quote marks professionally. So let's be honest about that. Second thing I think mistake we've made when it comes to evangelism is don't think about you having to do evangelism on your own. Jesus sent out the disciples in twos learn from that lesson how do we support one another if you're going to talk about jesus in your workplace have you got others at work who could support you if you haven't if you've got christian friends at church who you could have praying for you when you're in your workplace have you got a christian friend you can talk about those conversations you've had if they've gone well you can share the successes if they've gone badly they can commiserate and encourage you don't try and do evangelism on your own because it's very lonely and then lastly ed the other mistake i think we make is taking too much on our shoulders we think it's my job to go and talk to my colleagues and be so convincing they fall to the ground and have weeping repentance in front of me. <laughs> and that rarely happens. And so we feel like failures when it doesn't. What about thinking it differently and thinking my job is to be a faithful witness, to take an interest in my colleagues, to share Jesus as best I can and recognize it may not just be me involved in the life of my friends. If you talk to anybody who's a Christian, I'm sure this goes for you as, as well as for me, you will have we'll have five, six, seven people involved in our journey to faith. 
you know i look back at my own testimony it was not one conversation it was many conversations and again that takes the pressure off us a little bit i think realizing that actually god wants to work with us together a group of us in bringing our friends in in uh, and, and neighbors to cut to christ and um, take that takes the pressure off don't do it alone and be honest about those fears that can be a great starting point in helping us become that little bit more confident yeah the you know the heart rate will still be racing the needle will still be in the red zone of the adrenaline but it won't be uh, it won't be quite as tough yeah yeah, it's a, there's a movie, uh, I guess it was all over the world, but uh, we bought a zoo, I think it was called. And there's one line in this that I really stuck with when it came to evangelism. It just takes 15 seconds of bold, audacious courage. All you got to do is start the conversation. And once it's going, people are going to be open. They're going to talk more or they're not. Yeah. And you're going to move on and be friends. It's it's not the end of the world. I've spent the last few weeks, we're filming, there's a big campaign here in, in the, in America. just it's US focus called He Gets Us. Mm. And we're and, yes. you know, running, running ads, always in the Super Bowl. And so we're doing some uh, evangelism curriculum training, the Lewis Palau Association and Glue and mm-hmm. me and a group of us. And and that's what discourages people. Just, I mean, right now with all these ads running, people are having conversations. Just step into the conversation. Just start. And you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be driven by fear as well. But anyway, I promise to get to the call. So let's do that. Andrea in Wheaton, Illinois. Really? Are you in Wheaton, Illinois, Andrea? If, if so, I'm excited. So jump right in with your question or your comment. Thank you ever so much. Uh, yes, I'm a hospital chaplain, grew up in the Lutheran Church. My brother married a Catholic and was going to church and raising his kids in the Catholic Church. They got hooked into yoga. They left the Catholic Church for whatever reason. Well, on his 65th birthday, he said to me, he has a lot of his things figured out for retirement, but not spirituality. Wow. And he asked me about it. And, okay, so now I don't want to look like a complete idiot. He's now 70. <laughs> He'll be visiting me next week. So I'm calling in to say help. Oh, I love it. Andrew, oh. what a great what a great question, too. I want you to hold on the line because my producer is going to come on the line and give you a copy of Andy's book, uh, How to Talk About Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot. Now, Andy, we've got mm. about 30 seconds for you to start the answer. So I want you to start. No, no, stay with me. We're going to give – got more time. So give us 30 Good. seconds intro, and then we'll continue on the other side. Yeah. Well, let's start with this, Andrea. I would begin by the temptation is to be triumphalistic. I would start by going, well, thank you for your honesty. Tell me what, tell me how spirituality has been working out for you. Talk to him about what he's currently been doing. Obviously, the yoga thing hasn't worked out. Find out where he is now, why he's asking the question. Ask lots of questions, do some listening, and that will then lay the ground to talk about Jesus, and we'll come to that in a moment. And we're going to talk more about that in just a second again with your calls as well. 877-548-3675. Stay tuned. Good conversations ahead. Hey, we're back at Stetzer Live. We just had a great call from Andrea. I even got a nice comment from our producer saying it was a great call, and it is indeed. And it's partly because probably she lives in Wheaton, where I am at this very moment. I know I keep saying I live in California, but I happen to be back here speaking, and I'm headed to North Carolina. If you're in the Charlotte area, I'm speaking for Derwin Gray at Transformation Church this weekend. And then back to our home in California, but lived in Wheaton for seven years. So we just know that's why Andrea's question is great, because she has mm. been drinking the Wheaton water. So tell us a little more. So she's got this, mm. her, her, I think she said her brother, 65 years old, into yoga, asking spiritual questions. Uh, where else would you go? And ultimately, how does it lead to pointing people to Jesus? Yes, I think just before the break, Ed, I was suggesting to Andrea, start by finding out a bit more of the, her brother's story that's going on there. What What's worked spiritually? What hasn't worked? Because I've been intrigued about finding out why he's asking the question now. The one thing to avoid is going, aha, yoga hasn't worked for you. You need to come back to the fold. Don't give that impression at all. So 
find out what's going on for him. Secondly, what I would then talk about, I think for some folks I've had in this situation, I had a friend of mine who walked away from Christianity for years and sort of played around with Buddhism for a bit. And there was a little bit almost a sort of sort of sense of guilt at the end of whether they could come back, whether whether the door was open. I think I'd want to lay the grounds for that, too. I'd want to be sewing into that conversation that Jesus's doors are always flung wide for someone who's willing to come back and turn and repent. The story of Luke, Jesus and Luke 15 that Jesus tells there of the, of, the, of the two sons, the younger son and the older son, that's a great gospel story to potentially weave in. I'm always looking for ways where I can say to the person I'm talking with, you know, this reminds me of something that Jesus said or did. The other place there you might take somebody to is John chapter 1. I'm struck by the whole come and see thing going on there as well, where, uh, where uh, you know, Philip says to Nathaniel, just, just come and see. So with your brother, rather than ding him around the head and go, right, become a Christian again, sort it all out. What about come and see? Why don't we talk through where it is you're spiritually longing, what those deep desires are, and then why don't we come and see? Why don't we take a look at Jesus together at your speed, uh, dig open the gospel, pray a little bit, and see whether what Jesus has to say to what it is you're searching for. But but take your time, I think, in doing that. Do listening, pray around that conversation too, and see how the Lord leads. Yeah, what a fascinating open door there as well. Let's go to Robert mm. in Southern California. Robert, you're live on the air with your question and your comment. Go ahead. Just thoroughly enjoying the vein that you guys are in. Um, I just, it is for myself, the more I learn about the word and the biblical stories, and especially now I'm just like deep diving into the parables, I just, it, mm. it opens doors to dialogue I would have never thought about. And it's so Holy Spirit driven. Just, I, I, I was at something last night and like five different conversations. I could just say, wow, this sounds like something in the Bible. And this is exactly what I see and and just the connections and you know you're you're so correct in saying it's not about converting it's about sowing and it's mm. about you may be turning the soil you may be planting the seed you may be watering it but w- once you don't worry about it being a deal closer and let God mm. do what He's going to do it just takes all the stress out of it and it makes it so much fun because you're just sharing you're just sharing the mm. good news and the world needs the good news love that. Love that. Good, good word, Robert. I want you to hold down the line, too. I want to give you a copy um, of Andy's book. It's How to Talk About Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot. But super, and super encouraging comment as well. Let's go to Olivia, also in California. It's California theme right now in Corona, California. Olivia, you're live on the air with your question or comment. Go ahead. Hi, yes, thank you. So I have a work friend, and he gave me, he claims he's Orthodox Christian. He gave me a book about hermits and monks. And my question is, how can I help uh, him realize that anyone can call, can genuinely call out to Jesus himself, God, you know, the Holy Spirit himself, mm. uh, and, he will, and he will hear from them. They don't have to have a level of spiritual education or fast for three days prior to, you know, prayer, repeat a specific prayer five times before to get God's attention. Um, my friend, I don't know much about Orthodox uh, spirituality so, or Christianity, so I need to look uh, into that myself, but... I know he's said things like, you know, I've invited him to Harvest. That's where I attend in Riverside, California. Mm. And he's like, oh, no, you know, I'd be banned from my church if I went to, you know, um, Greg Laurie's church. And um, he just seems to really be focused on the fact uh, that you need to do these things, mm-hmm. you know, and then and then God will, will hear you. But how can I gently, lovingly, mm. and I listened to your response uh, with Andrea, and I got some great pointers there. 
Um, but what what would you say? I love it. You're listening to it, Olivia. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on hold so we can get you a copy. But you know, listen through the answer, and then Karen, my producer, will come on and give you a copy um, of the book. And again, it's how to talk mm-hmm. about Jesus without looking like an idiot. Andy, let me give a little context too for our audience. So when she's talking about Orthodox, she's talking about Eastern Orthodox, in all likelihood mm-hmm. because of giving a book on hermits and monks. So she's talking about Eastern Orthodoxy. What she seems to be particularly describing is someone who's uh, very driven by the rituals that of yeah. in and around Eastern Orthodoxy, different streams of that movement as well. And uh, and she and she my favorite part was that if her friend went to Greg Laurie's church, hmm. she couldn't could, couldn't come back. Well, you know, I mean, I'm the teaching pastor at Mariner's Church down the road, so you know, we might be the same way. No, we love Greg Laurie, and I'd really just been I just te- texted him the other day, excited what the Lord's doing there. So so what do you think? Let's and particularly hmm. if you wouldn't mind broadening it to people who maybe are driven by ritualistic expressions, maybe without having that faith in Christ. Yeah. We recognize people have different views, but talk to us a little bit about that. Exactly. And I think that's a really important disclaimer there, Ed, because ritual on its own is not a bad thing. I mean, Jesus right. taught about the ritual. He taught the Lord's yeah. Prayer. Um, and I think, you know, there is a lot of very rich ritual uh, throughout Christian history. And where ritual is a help and a support to that existing relationship with Christ, that's fine. The problem is when you have the ritual and nothing within it, when it's just the dead, desiccated, dry religion. And Jesus had a lot to say about that too. Um, one thing that struck me as Livy was speaking there, I often like to say to folks when I'm talking to people like her friend or to folks outside the church, I think the biggest problem in our culture right now is I, people love acronyms. I always like to say people, the biggest problem in our culture right now is PBA. People go, what's PBA? And they say, well, PBA is performance-based acceptance. Mm. We live in an age that tells you if you perform the right way, you measure up, you think the right thing, say the right thing, tweet the right thing, you're accepted. Religion can go that route too. Do the right things, think the right things, work hard enough, and perform hard enough, and you're accepted. And the beauty of the gospel is it cuts the roots out from under that. The gospel does not say perform and you are accepted. It says that Christ performed for us first. That's, uh, you know, Romans 5 verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that's where you want to get into with your friend. One way I found, Olivia, to do that, if you sort of go too hard through the front door, people's backs go right up. They, they feel that you're attacking them and their beliefs. They can get very defensive, whether they're Orthodox or Catholic or whatever. My way into this with friends is talk about Jesus. Say to your friend, this is fascinating. Tell me what you think of Jesus. You know, where does Jesus fit into this? How is your relationship with, with Christ? How do you know more about him? How do you pray to him? How is that working out? Get them talking about Christ. If there is not a lot of that there, they keep reverting back to the structure. I think you could be pretty sure there's nothing underneath. And then maybe it's right to challenge them slightly. If actually, as you ask the right questions, the Christ stuff comes bubbling out then maybe actually it's a slightly different task you have and just release them into what's already there. And then for yourself, by the way, talk about Jesus a lot. Talk mm-hmm. about what Jesus has done for you. Talk about how he's freed you. Talk about what your relationship with him looks like. Because otherwise it can turn into you talking about your church versus your friend talking about his church and you're not going to get anywhere. Again, make it Jesus focused and find out where Jesus lies uh, in your friend's heart and life. Fascinating, fascinating. Good, good, good conversation, and lots to unpack there as well, too. Just with Eastern Orthodoxy, and I encourage, hmm. I'd encourage uh, Olivia to engage more, read in around that space as well. It's a, it's a, it's it's got a obviously a long history, and and but the key thing here is that in many places where people are engaged in faith and practice, it, they they end up being nominal believers, and it sounds yeah. like your friend is a nominal believer, but it could I could be wrong. 
and uh, and those nominal believers, uh, there are nominal evangelicals, there are nominal Catholics, there are nominal there are nominal Orthodox, uh, nominal a- Anglicans all over the UK and in the US as well. And and in all those cases, we want to point mm-hmm. them ultimately to the life giving relationship that comes with knowing with knowing Jesus Christ as well. So so super super call. Uh, let's go to you know I don't know how to tell you, Sandy, but this is a really big country that we have over here. So we've gone from Chicago to Southern California. Yeah. It's not like going from Birmingham down to London. I mean, it's so now we're going to go to Florida. Which is on the whole other side of the just of blows the my mind. So, the geography it is, it is, blows my it mind. Is. <laughs> we uh, have so history, li- though. You have geography. You have we have history. Oh, I, yeah, I walked by this church when we were teaching at Oxford. I'd walk by this church. Um, I'm trying to remember. Was it Saint Barnabas or something? It was an Anglican church that had been worshiping that same spot for a thousand years. And it's and like I was at I was at Moody Church in Chicago for uh, mm. for about four years as interim. 150 years old. The oldest. You know, megachurch in, in in well, actually extant megachurch in the whole world, and it sounds so historic. And then a thousand years is well. Anyway, let's go to Lily's. See, if it wasn't for that Florida. Boston Harbor stuff, all this could oh, be your tradition too. You know, you know, July Fourth <laughs> is a beautiful, beautiful day. Lily, go ahead. You're live on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I was just wondering on this topic. Um, I'm thinking that the difficulty we have with this evangelism is that we've made it an, a mechanical act. When I was born again, I was radically transformed. And after that, I had this intense desire to tell, tell my friends, tell everybody, and I could see the change. So I had this desire to know more, and I read the Bible. But then what I'm seeing now is that evangelism is being taught as an act. People, we don't even care whether those people we are teaching are born again. What is their experience? Like you just mentioned in your last discussion. If you don't have an experience, you won't be able to share. You will just be quoting scriptures, and you can't stand their question, and it's intimidating. But, you know, even up till today, many years after being born again, evangelism is my passion because I've Mm. had that radical experience. I could tell people, all I know is that Jesus changed my life. And they're wondering what happened. And I could tell the story, and I leave them there for the Holy Spirit to act. And it's very effective. So we need to start with the people that we're teaching. Have you had experience? Yep. Lily, I got the music for rolling because we got to take a break here. So, but hold on for just a second because I want to have uh, Andy weigh in on this, but it's a great point. How do we avoid falling into the kind of the mechanistic approach and instead just from life wanting to share with others? Hang, hang with us. We're going to talk with Andy Bannister about that question and a few others. We'll be right back. Well, we're back. It's Desert Live. I loved Lily's call, her comment, her question was framed in and around. In a sense, I mean, how do we make this too mechanistic or do we make this too mechanistic? It should just flow out of our life, our relationship with Christ. So so why is it for us, Andy, often difficult to talk to close friends about what's really most important to us, our true identity, our hopes and dreams, our purpose and faith? Why is that? Well, I love where Lily's question uh, went, uh, Ed, because I think ultimately for evangelism, underneath everything else, you need two things, right? You need to love Jesus and you need to love people, which, you know, Jesus himself said, love the Lord your God with your heart, your mind and soul, love your neighbor as yourself. If those two loves are in place, that's a great foundation. What then happens that some of the fears we've been talking about, I think it triggers that kind of flight or fight reaction. And some of us run away from evangelism and don't do it. And others others of us go into fight mode. We get very shouty at the culture. Or we land upon methods and mechanisms and go, great, I just need to memorize the, the four spiritual laws. And if I just beat my friend around the head with those, it'll all be all right. 
Whereas actually, I think if we know who we are in Christ, if we love Christ and we love our neighbor and we're soaking those conversations in prayer too, there's a lot in this book about prayer, then it takes the pressure off. And rather than think we have to do formally, what we need to do is love our friends, start conversations, learn to take an interest in people, have conversations that are natural and not weird, and then talk about Jesus within those. And by the way, one quick point here. Testimony is so powerful. I love what you said there, Lily, about what God's done in your life. So often testimony becomes for us how we became a Christian 30 years ago. Don't do that. Keep it updated. Keep your story of what Jesus is doing in your life up to date. And then have the boldness to introduce that into conversations as appropriate with people. So that people see that your faith is alive and relevant to where you are today. Love it. Love it. Okay. All right, Andy, um, your strength is not short answers, but we're running up on the end of the program. And the callers, I'm going to ask right now, because I'm going to go we're going to go to a lightning round. Do you use that term in the UK? Do you have we lightning, do lightning rounds? Okay. We right, do like indeed. All right. I just want to get sure. I didn't know, you know, it's paradise over there. So every every day we oh, were there. Rains, yeah. We were there October, November, December. And I think three days it didn't rain. It was stunning to me. But anyway, another story for another day. I didn't see a lot of lightning. <laughs> but so so callers need you to be like quick and to the point so we can get to Andy. We're going to give away some more books as well. Let's first go to Kurt in South Florida. Kurt, yep, let me click the little button here so we'll get Kurt to actually be there. Kurt, you're live on the air with your question or comment. We'll jump right in. Yes, my lightning question would be, I feel like evangelism, the word has gone out of the Christian culture as well as the non-Christian culture totally, and I said most people don't even understand it. Mm-hmm. Good. All right, tell us more about that, Andy, because I think that's true, by the way. So tell me about it. Uh, the word evangelism, where does it fit? Oh, gosh, I think it should be front and center. So what I would say, it's easy to sit there and criticize others in our church for not having it front and center. You talk about it. You model it to your friends. You excite your friends with how you're sharing your faith with your friends, and evangelism can be contagious. Those of us who love evangelism need to talk about it more in our churches and get others excited. And you did a good job in the lightning round, Andy. I just want to affirm that as well. Kurt, hang on. We're going to get you a copy of the book. James in Western Ohio, you're on the air. Go for it. Yes, I've made uh, several friendships with uh, Muslims here in the States that are studying here, and they have uh, turned atheist, and uh, so I'm relating to them, and uh, I, I share with them the love of Christ and some of the differences with Islam. Do you have any suggestions for those who have, are atheistic now in their, in their belief and yeah, yeah very better. No, actually, I'm going to sure. I'm going to interrupt you, Andy, for just a second because uh, James, I want you to hold on the line. I want you to get a I want you to get a copy of the book. My producer will come on. But Andy, this is an area where you have double expertise, both in Islam and engaging atheists. So I'm going to give you as long as you'd like to talk when you start hearing the music. Oh, that's play, dangerous. You know, it's you need to wrap it up. So talk to us. Fantastic. So what I'd say, interesting, lots of Muslims are leaving Islam, actually, and they're going in two directions. Some are becoming Christians, some are becoming atheists, and you've run across those. So what I would say, a great starting point in a conversation with your friends there would be to say, okay, firstly, I'd love to hear a bit about why you left Islam. What was it that caused you to leave? Get their story. Then with the atheism, I would push into some of the big questions of life. Say, okay, you've left Islam. How is your atheism answering those big questions of life? You know, what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life. How do you decide what's right and wrong, just and unjust? What do you think has gone wrong with the world? What do you think the solution is? And what do you think human beings are? What does it mean to be human in the midst of all of that? Huge questions that atheism I don't think can touch. And then, as you've listened to your friends and done them the respect of listening, then you can say that the reason I'm a Christian, I think it's answers that are better than Islam, 
But I also think they are infinitely better than atheism in terms of what it says about those questions. And a, a cheeky book recommendation, my previous book, The Muslims and Christians Worship the Same God, has a framework in there for conversations both with Muslims and with atheists and some work examples of both. Yeah, yeah. And that was, by the way, a helpful book. Uh, I work at Wheaton College with some history with that question as well. And so that was a helpful book to kind of walk through and think through some of those ideas. Listen, I think we, if we can squeeze in one more call, Sofirian, I think is how you pronounce your name. Sofirian, you got to do this in a minute, but you're live from Upland, California. Go ahead. Yes, I'm on the radio. Hi there. This is Sofirian Kim. And um, I just heard on the radio to go ahead and give you guys a call. Thank you so much. And I'm outside in downtown Upland, beautiful downtown Upland, just smiling and passing the word. And um, I heard um, about how we want to share a story about how we are here to serve and help how we encourage our neighbors and help them to know that we are Christians and love the Lord. So I was like, you know, I'd love to share my testimony. Oh, please, we got, we got about 30, 45 seconds, but tell us how you do it. Yes, so um, I, I own a hair salon, hair secret, and three locations. I pray over my clients when they come in because a lot of people come in broken and hurt, and I just encourage them. And um, as I'm massaging their scalp, I just kind of tell them, you know, it's important to just remember the word and stay sharp and focus. Our scripture is Psalm 37.4, delight in the Lord, and he shall bless you with the desires of your heart. So you have to just put God first and pray for each other morning, night, and day. Constantly. Let them know that we're praying for you. Just smile, look good, feel good. Everything's going to be okay. Just put God first. Oh, that was a great story. If, thank you. Hold on line. line. We're going to give you a copy of the book. But what a great story to end the show. I have the best callers. Uh, what, what a great story to end the show. So, Andy, we got about a minute left. I want you to mm. encourage the listeners, you know, just follow up maybe with Reverian and encourage the listeners to begin those faith-sharing conversations. Yeah. So a couple of things just based off that. I mean, I love the way that you, you grounded it in prayer. So I think for listeners, the first thing I would say above everything else, be praying. If you're in the workplace, pray for your, uh, your colleagues, pray for your customers. If you're a student, pray for your fellow students, pray for your neighbors. You cannot do enough praying for the Lord to create opportunities. Secondly, be bold about being a Christian. We've touched on this, Ed and I, in this conversation. Find ways to signal that you're a Christian. You know, on Monday morning, when you have the what did you do on the weekend conversation, don't avoid talking about church. Talk about the great Saturday you had, the fun barbecue with family on Sunday afternoon. Be positive about church on a Sunday morning. And then lastly, love people, serve people, find a way to be generous and kind to those around you. And when they ask why you've gone the extra mile, don't duck it. Say the reason I've done what I've done for you is because I love Jesus and Jesus loves you. And I wanted to show that. Love our neighbors, model that to them. Don't be afraid to be a Christian and talk about your faith publicly and pray, pray, pray and trust the Lord to work through you in the places that he calls you. Oh, so great to have you on the program today, Andy Bannister. We appreciate you, appreciate the book as well. Uh, to, to remind everyone, the book is is called How to Talk About Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot. It's it's actually, sometimes when you have a, someone from the UK, people are like, can I get that book here? Yep, yep, it's it's published by an Amer a joint American publisher, so it's available here as well. I have a copy on my, well, I'd say it's on my desk, but my desk is in boxes, so I don't know where it is right now. <laughs> but but again, it's How to Talk About Jesus Without Looking Like an, Indian, uh, an Idiot. Um, thanks so much to our guest, Andy Bannister, for joining me today. And thanks to the behind-the-scenes team at Moody Radio, my producer, Karen Hendren, and my engineer, Courtney Young. And actually, Lynn has been manning the phones today. And let me just say, too, thank you for our callers. We had great callers. I said I said to Andy before the program that, you know, a program on evangelism and sharing your faith sometimes doesn't get a lot of calls, but what great calls we did have today. Tune in next week. I'm going to talk to author Shauna Pilgreen. Talks about how to share your faith in a language the culture understands. 
To hear today's program again, you'll find it at edstetzerlive.com or at the Moody Radio app. You'll also be able to connect with us through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Ed Stetzer Live. If you're in Charlotte this weekend, come see me at Transformation Church with Derwin Gray. And then from there, I fly to California, leaving behind the wonderful seven years at Wheaton College and beginning there as the dean of the Talbot School of Theology. So pray for me, pray for our family during that move. And remember that Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, and Moody Radio is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening.